0: Whoa. Welcome to Base Camp, where men join together to seek deeper understanding of authentic menhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. If you're looking for the next level in men's ministry, join us and experience a life of Christian fellowship with men sold out for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May God be praised. Morning, brothers. So we're going to start out... The church in Antioch. Chapter 11, verse 19. And before I start reading about the church at Antioch, I want you to get a little background. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Uh, It had a little over 600,000 people there. Uh, It was literally a cesspool of pagans. Uh, Just to give you an idea, there was a, a garden that was there about 10 miles in circumference, and I thought, how big is that? So I had to look it up, it's a little over, almost eight miles, covers an area, and the place was just totally populated with prostitutes, just to let you know what kind of a city that was. So what does God do? He makes that the first church for the Gentiles. That's just the way God works. Let me begin. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. That's a key statement. They preached the gospel to no one but Jews. You remember earlier in this chapter where uh, Peter went to Antioch and he preached to the Gentile and the Gentile, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he accepted Christ. Uh, well, the council back in Jerusalem wasn't too pleased with that. And they called him back and said, what are you doing preaching to Gentiles? Well, Peter, being the smart guy that he is, he says, well, wait a second. Uh, Who am I to get in God's way when he leads me to this Gentile and he accepts Christ as his Lord and Savior? I'm not going to stand in God's way. And they all fell silent. And then they started to praise God. And even after this, who do they preach to? Just the Jews. Why? Because salvation is of the Jews. Um, there's another thing that maybe a couple of them thought about. Genesis 12:3, where it says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He was talking to Abraham. So God early on said, Hey, I'm going to bless other people people besides just the Jews. I digress. Let me continue. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, in coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Gentiles, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord." I like the statement about the hand of the Lord. What it really means is it was a power for blessing. And it's like planting a seed. The gospel was being preached. And like, I think you've all heard it from time to time, our job is to plant the seed. It's God's job to make it grow. Uh, We can't make the seed grow. That's in God's hands. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch." I want to talk about Barnabas a second. Why do you think they sent Barnabas? And actually they made him an apostle with a little a to go there. Where was Barnabas from? He was from Cyprus. Where were a bunch of the people that were spreading the gospel? In Antioch from? Well, also from Cyprus. Now, I conjecture here when I say there's probably a good chance that the church in Jerusalem knew who the people were that were from Cyrene and Cyprus. uh, And Barnabas says, hey, I know those guys. He may have even said, I led two of them to Christ. Well, that's a good reason. He was probably saying, send me. I know these guys. Well, Barnabas, he goes on up there and he, he is just amazed what's going on. And the name Barnabas, it means son of encouragement. And when he gets there, all he says to the people that are there is, you're doing a fantastic job. I am just amazed at the number of people that you're leading to Christ. And he was so amazed that he realized, this is more than I can handle by myself. So what does he do? He says, I'm gonna go find Saul, who we know as Paul. I'm gonna go find Saul, because Saul is a source of truth and knowledge and was a great teacher. Remember, Saul was a a Pharisee. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew it all, and he turns around, and he says, I'm gonna go find this guy. Well, when he goes and he leaves Antioch, they say, oh, he's in Tarsus. When he gets there, he finds out that due to the persecution, uh, Saul's been moving around. He's not staying in one spot. And just as a side note about persecution, we would view persecution as a bad thing You remember Joseph, what you meant for me was evil, but God meant it for good? Well, the persecution, we look at it as an evil thing. God used it as the means to move people to other areas to spread the gospel. So God took persecution, which was evil in our sight, but it was good in his sight to do that, to move people to other areas to spread the word about Christ. Uh, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people who added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. That's a key statement. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You know, the statement Christians is only used three times in the New Testament. And this is one of them. And by the way, when it was first used, I can tell you it was a derogatory term. Oh, you're one of those Christians, huh? That's that's the way it was presented at first. But the Christians, They looked at it and said, that's a good thing. It's after Christ. I'm trying to be more like Christ. Go ahead and call me a Christian. I'm proud of that name. Now, why do you think Barnabas and Saul stayed there for an entire year? The importance of them being there for a year, and unlike today, when someone converts and becomes a believer in Christ, what do we want them to do? We want them to read the Bible. We want them to get into God's word so that the Holy Spirit can speak to them. Well, they didn't have the Bible in that day. Yeah, they had the, the uh, Old Testament items, but Barnabas in his wisdom realized that he needed to get Saul here because he would teach true doctrine to the new believers. You know, in the church as it grew, there were a lot of heresies came up and Marty is preaching First John right now and Gnosticism was a, was a, a big item. Uh, it was a false teaching and Marty's pointing that out. He preaches truth and hopefully I'm doing the same thing here today. But the point that I wanna drive across here is, I asked the question, what is the purpose of the church? Because that's what's being addressed here. Barnabas and Saul spend a whole year with these people to get them to be mature Christians instead of babes in arms. And that's what this church does. We have a class on apologetics, so you can defend the faith. I teach a class on systematic theology, which addresses the doctrines. This men's group that meets every Tuesday morning and ironworks that meets on Wednesday night, it addresses doctrine. It's teaching truth. And the purpose of the church, like Marty has said, it's the scariest place to be if you're a non-believer because you're going to hear the gospel. And when you hear it, you either accept Christ or you're going to reject him. And that's why it's scary. The same time, when you look at the apostles that worked here in this case, where uh, Paul is talking and he's educating, we do the same thing and the outreach that they made when they're done, when those, when those people become uh, mature Christians, I believe a lot of them will move to other areas to help spread the gospel. What do we do here? We do the same thing. I'm gonna just name one person, Josh Harper. Josh grew up in our church, accepted Christ, became a pastor, and he'll ultimately wind up going to some other place to spread the gospel and spread God's word. And you know, that's what Paul and Silas are working on here right here is to train people about Christ and teach them truth. So our church does the same type of thing. So remember the church is to teach doctrine, to discipline people, and then hopefully make disciples of people so we go out and spread the word. And we do that West Virginia trip. Bunch of men get together, they go out, they do work out there, but they also share the gospel. And that's what's important. Let me continue. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. There was a great famine that took place um, during the reign of Claudius, I believe it was somewhere around 45 or 46 AD was when the famine hit. And here you have individuals that took money and sent it to help brothers that are in Jerusalem. I wonder if that was the first mission work that was being done because we do the same type of thing. We have a, in our budget, we have a missions amount of money where we give to help in spreading the gospel. And this is the same type of thing where they're sending money to help brothers that need help because they're also training people to send them out to preach the, God's word. And what I like to say is now we shift gears. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, here's what's going on. James killed and Peter imprisoned. About that time, heard the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. He beheaded him. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. It's almost like, you know, he saw what he did. The crowd loved it. Hey, hey they like what I did, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to grab Peter. This is the first. And by the way, James was the first apostle to be martyred. I know Stephen was, but he wasn't an apostle. James was the first one. And there are several James. Which James are we talking about? Well, we're talking about James, the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder. uh, And he is martyred And as I go on here, it says this was during the days of unleavened bread. That means it was the time of the Passover. Now, and when they had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I want to explain a couple things to you here. When James was put in prison, the reason he wasn't killed right, I mean, not James, but Peter, the reason Peter wasn't killed right off the bat was the Passover's going on. It was against Jewish law to kill anyone during Passover. So that's why they had to wait, okay? But the guards that were involved here just talk about high security. Here's Peter. He's chained by the legs to legs of two guards. One leg has a chain on it, going to one guard. Chain on the other leg goes to another guard. And then outside where they are, there are two other guards to make sure that he doesn't get away. And then beyond that, there's a gate to prevent even people from outside trying to get in, you know, to get him. And then Peter winds up getting rescued. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Now, what you need to understand is, he wants to do this quickly. He said, Get up quickly. What the angel's telling him is, he says, what he's really saying is, Gird yourself. Men in those days, they used to wear those long robes all the way down to their ankles when they walked around and all. Well, you couldn't move quickly dressed like that. So what they would do, it was like in the prodigal son who came back, the father saw a son, he wanted to run to him. So what did he do? He lifted up the outfit he was wearing above his knees so that he could run to his son. Well, that's what this angel's telling Peter to do, hey, we're getting out of here. Let's go. Uh, he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. But though he was see, as though he was seeing a vision, when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, "'Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel "'and rescued me from the hand of Herod "'and from all of the Jewish people were expecting.' When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a girl servant named Rhoda came to an answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her, and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in response and, and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. Can you imagine this? Here they are, they're praying for Peter. And Rhoda comes up and says, Hey, Peter's outside. What do you mean? Peter's outside. But she kept insisting that it was, so they kept saying, it is his angel. Now, what did they mean by it is his angel? Um, In the early church, they believed in guardian angels. I believe in guardian angels. Uh, You know, we don't see the invisible rain but if God were to reveal to us the invisible range, I think we would see in our midst, many angels here with us. Uh, and where did the early church get that idea or that concept? Think of e- Elijah, when he said, remove the scale from Elisha's eyes so that he can see and he saw the thousands of angels that were standing there with them they were guardian angels that God had given to Elijah. The same thing that they're talking here is I'm sure that the Jews at that time were saying it's got to be his angel because Peter couldn't be there. "But But Peter continued knocking and when they opened they saw him and were amazed but motioning to them with his hand to be silent he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and he said tell these things to James and to the brothers." Now, we got a different James here, because I can guarantee you that Peter knew that James, the son, one of the sons of thunder had been killed. So when he says, tell James, he's talking about the brother of Jesus. Uh, also known as James the Just. And by the way, James the Just also had a, one other nickname. He was called Camel Knees. Why do you think he was called Camel Knees? Anybody have an idea? Because he prayed a lot and he was on his knees and his knees really got big and it was difficult for him. So he got the nickname Camel Knees because he was always on his knees praying uh, then he departed, and he went to another place. Meanwhile, back at the prison, now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Can you imagine the guards? The guard that had a chain on his leg attached to the leg of Peter, pardon me, of James, and then he's not there. Where'd he go? Nobody knew. Now, what did God do to the guards at that time? I don't know. What I do know is they had no idea that the angel came and took Peter and said, we're out of here, let's go. And the chains fell off and the door opened and they're gone. Well, and Herod searched for him and did not find him. He examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea, meaning Peter. He went down from Judea to Caes- Caesarea and spent time there. Peter knew probably the first place that Herod's going to look is at Mary's house to try and find him. And I'm sure that the guards went there. But the sentence of putting the guards to death, that was a, a, uh, a Roman custom. Whatever your prisoner was guilty of and whatever his punishment was going to be, if that prisoner escaped, if he, was, if, you, if he was going to get flogging and he escaped, then the guard was flogged in his stead. So in this case, they were going to put Peter to death because he had escaped. He put the guards to death. It was a Roman custom. And it sort of makes me think of when the other guard, when Peter's in jail, and there's the earthquake and he's gonna be leaving and the guard goes, what must I do to be saved? I mean, he knew, I'm a dead man. All these prisoners are leaving. Um, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon and they came to him with one accord and having persuaded Bladus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robe, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his lass. Um, I want to close out with the issue of prayer. Um, prayer is the means by which we communicate to God all things. And I look at what happened here. In this instance here, I can assure you that the saints were praying just as fervently for James as they did for Peter. And yet God chose James to be martyred for his glory. And in Peter's case, he gave him grace so that he could continue to do the mission that he had for him. I think of a couple that we just had this past Sunday where the elders met and we anointed them with oil. This couple, uh, the husband uh, told us, he said, you know, I can have a conversation. And uh, later in the afternoon, I don't even know what I talked about. And his wife, pretty much had the same type of thing, only she had eyesight issues. She was afraid she was losing her sight. And she says, I don't know what I'm gonna do if anything happens to, to my husband, you know, and I, and I lose, lose my eyesight. And I know this guy's gonna be a little embarrassed, but I don't care. Derek was there with us, and he walked up after we were all done, and he handed them his card. And he said, call me. I don't care what the issue is, if you need help or if you just need someone to talk to, call me. And that's what a brother does. He extends a hand to those in need. And I just wanted to publicly thank Derek for doing so. And I wanted to share that with you because that's the kind of man he is. And so, that concludes my conversation about this passage. I think you can understand why I just couldn't take one little part and deal with that. I had to address the whole issue. But I want you guys to have the opportunity to sit and talk about it without any questions that you have to answer. Uh, Just remember that prayer is how we pray, and sometimes we forget a very key thing. We pray to God And I can promise you, every prayer you give to God, He hears your prayer. Don't ever think He doesn't hear it, He does. Our problem is, we sometimes don't like His answer. Sometimes He says yes, which I hope He does with this couple. But He also may say no and sometimes he says wait and unfortunately we have a tendency when god doesn't answer our prayer we think well maybe we didn't say it right or there was something wrong with how we addressed it to god now god reads your heart he knows what you're trying to tell him he understands that it's just that his will is not always what your will is. And as Christians, we need to understand that and accept it. Brothers, let me close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to talk about your word. And I just want you to bless my brothers that are here. And I also want you to bless Ashley and uh, Eric, who are here for the first time, Ashley, and the fact that she's uh, here to find out what group she's supporting. And Eric, uh, he came along with his wife and I pray that he would come again and join us. Uh, But Father, I thank you for my brothers and I ask your blessing on them and I ask that you would keep them safe until we meet again. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.